Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Thank you for tuning in today to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. I'm your host, Simone. Today we have for you part two of Trisha J.C. McMurray's story as she continues seeking after her American dream. So I had interviewed life coaches during that time. And looking back, I probably could have made the sacrifice, but I felt like maybe some of them were too expensive. So I did continue with the process, but one, one, um, life coach, she said, okay, if we don't continue this coaching relationship, one thing I would suggest that you do is you get the book, the artist way. It's about creative people that got stuck and how you, and that book coupled with seven habits of highly effective people produce, um, this huge collage that I have at my house right now, it took over 10 years to finish wow. like my moral compass. It's like my vision board, you know, and it reflects who I am, what I'm passionate about, my interests and my value set. And to get over the challenges that I had, I found that once I did this, once I, I looked at this and let this guide me, it led me to the right opportunities um, and the, the, the right type of relationships. I will say at times when, I strayed away from it. I felt like life fell apart and things weren't working out. But I always know that I have that vision board that is like my compass. Oh, that is so good. I'm such an avid vision boarder too. Yes, I I love it. (laughs) I I, I believe in it. I believe in it. Awesome. Awesome. You mentioned that that you were awarded for your idea. For the magazine initiative, it was about um, biracial, magazine for biracial people or something like that, or multicultural people. And it got awarded. And I remember in the audience, uh, uh, a biracial guy who smiled, you know, when, when I was, uh, when that, when our group, well, our group was awarded for it, but no one knows behind closed doors. They didn't agree with my idea. I was the only one that was pushing this one, but you know, we all got awarded for it, but I was the one who had the idea you know but just oh, okay <laughs> by the school by the school itself or by how the, what do you mean? can you yeah, give the, a little the, bit background the, the summer publishing institute yeah okay okay so they had people from different magazine publications come on as uh uh panel judges mm-hmm. and then we present we pitched our book publishing our magazine publishing idea and then mm-hmm. out of all of that so um a book a group one as uh, book publisher of the year and then in terms of the magazine there was a group that won as magazine uh, publication of the year for for uh their idea and stuff like that and so we were one of them that got awarded yeah okay awesome awesome yeah. um 
Wow, wow. So I, that must have been a painful time, but it led you to searching and getting connected to what you needed to do. And now you have this beautiful collage or vision board that you've put together that's like your compass for mm-hmm. um, really what works. you want to accomplish. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, sometimes life isn't the easiest. And if you want something, like I mentioned in a few ep- uh, ep- uh, interviews ago, we have the saying in Jamaica, if you want good, you know, Zafir run. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, life isn't easy. And sometimes, uh, you know, you get download from the divine and you want to pursue that and try to find your way. And you don't always get the support of those closest to you. I mean, and a lot of people will probably share the same thing, because when you have a vision, other people don't always see it the way you do. Exactly. And I guess you're responsible for bringing it to life. Right. So, yeah. But I applaud you for sticking to it and, and not letting all those challenges dissuade you. Yeah. Like, like, it was, like I said, working for the the language company when I wanted to get the business in and not having the MBA got in the way, you mm-hmm. know, like I'll be down for a minute, but eventually some somewhere I would get back up and just try to find a, you know, plan A, plan, plan B, plan C. You right. Know? Just keep moving. That's And that's life in general with anything that you're pursuing. You know, um, you may get down, something may knock you over, but you just got to keep moving one foot ahead of the other one, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not yeah. always easy. It never is easy for, for most, for the most part. Um, no matter what you do, you know? Right. So you did talk about uh, several opportunities that came along your way throughout your um, our talk earlier, but could you talk to any specific opportunities that you'd like to mention in um, achieving or going after some of these goals that you were pursuing at the time? Well, like I said, I was, um, if I, if I took eight more classes, technically I would have two masters, masters in publishing and masters in publishing. But like I said, with that experience, I just ended up getting the master's in Latin American Criminal Studies. So that was an opportunity for me uh, to get accepted into the program. Like I said, I was mm-hmm. gonna go straight into a PhD, but I, I put a hold on that. I don't know if I will eventually do that, but you know, but I had the opportunity to be accepted at NYU and to uh, explore my research interests in um, hyphenated West Indian and Latino identity, which I was very proud about the master's thesis that I worked on and my time there. Um, and then other opportunities, like I said, even though I was not afforded the opportunity to work on the management end in the language company, by going to a women's retreat, I, I, again, I shared my passion with people, let them know what I've been trying to do these past three years, trying to find a vehicle to plant my passion in. And she told me about a community-based organization called Rising Tide Capital. Um, whatever business idea that you have, you would take a, uh, it's like an eight-week uh, course uh, with a group of people where week by week you're you are learning different aspects of running a business with your idea in mind, and you got you would collaborate and talk amongst your peers, um, and then by the end of that eight-week course you would have a business plan put together. You would graduate from the academy, but even after the academy, when you graduate from the academy, your relationships with Rising Tech Capital will not end. You would still have, be able to contact them and have a mentor. Any aspect of the business you want to learn about, whether it's marketing, accounting, whatever, they're there for you. you know? And so that was a great opportunity um, and, and resource for me 
to know that I have some place that I could turn to um, if and when I continue my my business in, initiative outside of my professional life. Right. Is that is that only located in the New Jersey, New York area, that tri-state area, or is it uh, um, nationwide, the Rising Tide Capital Program? Rising Tide Capital is out of um, uh, Jersey City. Okay. Um, I believe they do. Do they have a location in Chicago? They may have like sister organizations uh, across the uh, United States. But mm-hmm. the one that I went to was was based out of uh, Jersey City. They do, um, they do have different areas. Like they do have a location in Newark, New Jersey. Um, and I believe they have one in Union City. But as far as I'm concer- uh, concerned right now, I believe it's just Jersey based. But they do have similar programs like that um, in New York and, you know, other states as well. Okay. Wonderful. And is it like a grant program or a a completely free program for you to, once you're accepted? It was free. Yeah. Okay. So there's an application process and, and uh, once you're accepted, you get the support in getting your business plan and, Mm -hmm. and uh, possibly launching your business. Exactly. For folks who are listening in who might be wanting to check that out. And um, actually a, a little a little a little tidbit here, the, the founders of this organization, um, it's a husband and wife. He's American born. She is from Ethiopia. And her husband actually met her through her mother, who was an immigrant that came to America, and he was so inspired by her work ethic. Um working hard so that she could bring her daughter to America. Yes. And he eventually got had a chance to meet the daughter and fell in love with her and they eventually got married. And just that was his inspiration to want to help other immigrants or just um, people from underserved communities be able to have the opportunity to start business. You know, so I proud to be part of an organization like that as well. Wonderful. I mean, people are out there doing their little bit. It's just at times that we are not aware of them or we're not connected. And so that's why we have this medium is to have the conversation, to share information for people to know where to go to get connected and find information uh, um, to move them along their journey. So thanks for sharing that. So can you talk about any, like the biggest challenge or surprise or shock or area of adjustment that you had to make while um, during your journey here in the United States? Yes. So, um, so I'll say surprise and shock to a certain degree and maybe not so much, but um, again, with my ideas, when talking about my goals, in, in general, before I really try to pursue things with it, people are cool. We're cool about it. They're excited. And they're, like I said, they were people that were very fascinated and they could, they're like, well, you, this is an interesting person. You know, you've got a lot going on there, you know, but once you start to put a business idea to something and start pursuing uh, things seriously, that's when you start to see people's true colors. Mm. and unfortunately sometimes that could be from people closest to you uh friends and family or just associates just you know people in general um and I would say specifically from my own people um 
what is a big shock for me? What I would say when you hear stories about biracial, like I'm multicultural, I'm not bi- I'm not black and white, but I'm multicultural. But I could empathize with the biracial experience because they're at the intersection of trying to negotiate two different worlds. Yes. And, um, you usually hear a story of biracial people that sh- struggle a lot growing up and then as they get older they become stronger I feel like the reverse has happened for me I feel like in my adult years the negotiation of my identity and why I have the authority to do what I want to do um came more um in my adult life than when growing up so like I said um and I'll split it three ways. So growing up, I, I had that strong Caribbean foundation, not just Vinzies, but other West Indian groups. And us first generation Americans had that, had that um, exposure. Um, and so we had a perfect blend of our Caribbean background and being born here in America. And I think because of that association, I could go around and meet Caribbean people anywhere and feel comfortable just because I had that exposure. And, and, and they would be surprised at how much I know about Caribbean culture because so I, 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 think, I think growing up with this car party group and everything, I think all of us that had that exposure, I think we just automatically assume that other first generation Americans had that same exposure too. So sometimes you might find other first generations of Caribbean descent, but they didn't re- their parents maybe didn't expose them to the culture or, or maybe they felt that, um, that um, other people might have discriminated against them, so they kind of hide their Caribbean side and just and, and, and try to assimilate more uh, into more the mainstream, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Or maybe they were in a city where there's not a lot of not uh, a lot exactly. culture around, and so they just had to handle or, or or be a part of what was available. You know, what was available to them. Yeah. So, but early on, like growing up, I would tell uh, people, "I'm born here, but my family's from St. Vincent or Panama." And I don't feel like I had to negotiate my idea, like to, for the broader U.S. population, maybe, but amongst my own, I didn't feel I necessarily had to. They were like, oh, you're a Caribbean descent. And, and, and that was, I didn't have to negotiate or explain myself um, in terms of um, Panama too. Like, I don't feel I had to negotiate it as much. However, as I got older, I don't know what changed. Um, and it's not just me. I, I, I have a cousin, um, she'll, she'll, she'll be my second cousin. She is a first generation American, just like myself. Her, both her parents are from St. Vincent and she's very connected to our culture. She goes to Trinity Carnival. She goes to all the carnivals. She's very much connected to the culture. And she made some comment about going back home, meaning St. Vincent. And then my cousin abruptly said, you're American, you know? <laughs> so I thought that was kind of harsh because uh, of course she's American, but I, I I know what she meant when she said go home. I know, I know she means she's yes. not, she meets her roots, you know? Yes, yes. Um, and then there was other uh, situations where I've had people, I've always told people that I'm born here, but my dad's from St. Vincent, but because I, maybe I give off a vibe that I know people forget that I'm not born in St. Vincent, I have to keep, you know, so uh, I think one lady asked me, when did, when, when did you come from St. Vincent? I'm like, no, I said I'm born here, but my parent, my family's from St. Vincent. She's like, oh, you're American. My kids do that stripping this too. You're American, you know? <laughs> so then I felt like there was a rejection of, right. you know, from my own. Well, that's kudos people. to your, that's kudos to your parents that they so immersed you into who they were and the culture where you felt accepted and a part of that you feel so connected. So you haven't lost 
you know where your roots are. So, I mean, that's a positive and um, attributed to your parents and what they, you know, their job as a parent, they did what they were supposed to do, yeah. right? Yes. And then, and then as far as the Panamanian side, later on, um, it was a negotiation, negotiation of identity, like, but how can you be Panamanian? You're black. I'm like, well, I am black. I'm just not African American. You know, I'm of Panamanian descent. And then also, somebody said that. How can you be Panamanian and you're black? Yeah. It, well, it's not just Where's Panama. this person so, from? Someone. I, well, well, it goes either both ways. How could you be Panamanian? You're black. Or oh, you're Panamanian. You're not black. You know, it's like, but mm. it's not just Panama. You could be from Colombia, or Puerto Rico, and people. Are, well, how could you be Puerto Rican? You're black. Or how could you be this or that? And and like I said, growing up among West Indians and Latinos, you know the expression in Jamaica, out of many, one people. You know, right. we're a multicultural melting pot, but there's a sense of national, ident- national identity, regardless of what your race or ethnic background, everyone is West Indian or everyone is Latino. And people, even within one family, people are so blended up, you know, like that's normal. But in yes. the U.S. population, that more historically was more, you know, based on segregation, divisive, like black and white. But, you know, the U.S. population more sees things in black and white and can't see outside of that. So mm. you have to deal with that. Like you're proud of who you are. But when you have to deal with people, you have to constantly negotiate your identity because mm. of their preconceived notions of who and you yeah, are. And yeah, the biases are amazing. Yeah. And then, like I said, um, e- even, you know, in a country like Argentina, Argentina is known to have Italian influence. You have a lot of Italian Hispanics, but I feel like people wouldn't have to negotiate their identity being Argentinian. But in a country like like um, Panama, you do. It's 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 Latino, but it's also very Caribbean influence. So even like even I with my family, it's like Latino and Caribbean both. You know, but right. even, but looking at um, some pictures, like my great grandfather was from Jamaica. But he's a white Jamaican. So people are like, well, how can he be Jamaican? He looks white. But, you know, I grew up around, like, I, that's what I'm saying. I always saw myself as a cross-cultural interpreter because I feel like I'm in these two worlds and I want each world to understand better about each other. And it's all this nonsense that comes out of people's mouths. Right. <laughs> and you, I mean, it goes back to the saying. It. Yeah. It goes back to the saying um, that as, as people of color, we're not a monolith, Right. Yes. We, we come from so there's so much diversity in our backgrounds and the people that we come from mm-hmm. and it's to be celebrated and so I just don't understand this whole idea of trying to put people in boxes yeah and um I just I use other all the time because I'm not going to have you know you're not going to put me in any box, in I'm, box. I'm always in other and I'm proud of that yeah because I represent my grandmother's side of family who's from um the uh, I want to say Ireland based on our uh, studies yeah and then from my uh, paternal grandmother's side who's more from the African side now that I found out is more connected to Nigeria so okay. I mean I I celebrate both of that and you're not going to tell me that because that of my skin tone yeah. that I'm supposed to be in this one box I'm celebrating my roots and where I come from because I, I have connection and I know where they're from yeah right so yeah and, wow, and, and wow. It, it was just it was just amazing you know so i'm getting this from my own you know and then wow. I, I thought i was getting support from unlikely people i'm like this doesn't make any sense you know yes wow um, and then and then and then with the general american public uh, uh both white and black america 
um, is just like, oh, you think you ain't black because I, again, like the associate, like when people think the term African-American, that means black. But to me, I find the term African-American problematic for many reasons. One, I, I, like I empathize and I understand, like in this country historically, uh, uh, blacks were stripped of the, cu the culture completely. So as yes. they're trying to connect with their roots, so came the term African-American. Right. Latin America and the Caribbean, the African influence is strong in addition to other influences, but it, it was a little different there. And it, in these societies, it, the society wasn't built up on Jim Crow and segregation. So, like, so things were a little different in terms of the way people want to identify. So I understand right. why they want to say African-American, but it becomes problematic because when you have people coming from the Caribbean, when you have people that are Afro-Latino, when you have people that are Black and from England or, or whatever, they're automatically labeled African-American. They are, they may be black, but culturally they're from a different place. So right. saying African-American, it does not allow for the diversity that exists amongst us as black people. And it's not a matter of saying one is better than the other. It's just about celebrating our uniqueness, our differences. And it makes us stronger when we're able to do that. And in a perfect world, I would have it that way and it would be perfect, but it has not been that way, you know? And then someone who's, to me, someone who's really African-American is someone who's born here like me, a first generation American of parents from Africa. And in that case, they don't even say Africa. They say the country from which they're from. I'm Nigerian American. I'm Ethiopian. Ethiopian American right um, and then there's some Africans that are white too you know so exactly so that's, that's why this whole so idea problematic. <laughs> right. that's why this whole I this whole social construct of of these boxes and and this whole race idea I mean it, it's confusing and um, I mean I find that people tend to identify more with like their culture nat oh, cultural yeah. nationality and that's more of an accurate way to say where you're from and where your roots are from, because yes. it says more about you. Yes. you. I mean, what is white? What is black? I mean, that there's so much. That's to just biological. There. You know, that's just that's just a rape. But that's not really talking about your culture. You know what you want. Yes. You know? Right. Right. So what has your first generation experience been like and what are some rewards or challenges that you've had to had being in an in-between in terms of cultural differences between American values and immigrant values? Mm -hmm. So like I said, being a first generation American, very proud of my West Indian upbringing, very proud to be Panamanian. Um, but unfortunately, um, growing up, I, I guess... If, I guess as I got older, I started to feel more alone because mm. uh, you had fellow Black Americans who were friends, but they find out I'm from the West Indies. All of a sudden, I it was too proper. I thought I was too better. Um, so I always uh, sought comfort in the card party groups with people that were just like me, first generation American of immigrant parents could understand me better. Wow. Um, and then later on, when I wanted to pursue Spanish, explore the Panamanian sides, um, that became, uh, you know, added uh, again, this negotiation of identity. Oh, you're not black. I'm black. I'm just not African-American, you know, or you think you, you think you're not black. And then how could you be black and speak Spanish? You know, and so sometimes, I get that too. I get that. Yeah. Too. So sometimes I, I, I just I speak avoid speaking Spanish or trying to pursue Spanish because that guilt trip was placed on you. Because oh my goodness. Like I'm not supposed to speak Spanish because I'm black. You know what I mean? You know, so, um, I guess ultimately I found myself more gravitating towards other first generation Americans that weren't my own because if they if they act prejudiced or stereotypical, 
it wouldn't hurt as bad because I expect them to be that way. But when it's your own, yeah, more. So I, I just found, I just found that my forging friendships or long-term friendships have been problematic just because of that. Because if I was just regular, just African American, as they would say it, and my parents are both. But what is that? I mean, but even within that whole, you know, hyphenation, African American, what is that? If you, you know, because you come from such rich culture. So does that mean that now you don't represent who you are at home and what your exposure and what you consider yourself to be and, and your world? Are you just not, you're supposed to dim your light and who you are. So that's not necessarily a respect of who you are being a friend to you if you can't be who you truly are. Yeah. It's quite confusing. Like, like I said, like I said in, a per- in my perfect world, they would find out I'm from the West Indies in Panama and embrace that. And I would embrace them and we'd be a perfect happy family. But unfortunately, it doesn't go that way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I get what you're it's saying. I've experienced some of that and myself. It, it no problem, you know, but, you know. It, it's it's been problematic and and oh. i think i think our immigrant parents too i don't think they realize that struggle that we go through as first generation americans because you know they grew up to go went to school in a different system different country and yes. so they come here, no they're not going to school and dealing with the other you know uh, people in in school life to have to right. deal with those issues so it's like something we have to kind of d- deal with on our own or, or find support from other first generation americans just like us um but like i said me being a i i being a multicultural person i naturally gravitated to other first generation americans of immigrant parents too so it wasn't necessarily just the west indies or latin america like i had a friend who was born here, our parents are from Poland and she's very proud to be her, her Polish roots. She speaks Polish. She has two kids. She's married to a guy from Colombia. And um, I, I don't know if they may understand Spanish. I don't know if they speak Spanish, but she she speaks to Pol- uh, in Polish to her daughter. I don't know if the other two sons speak Polish, but very connected. And, and I say, I always say first generation because to be very specific, when you're a first generation, you are automatically exposed to your, your parents' culture. Like when, if you're- yes. If you're a few generations removed, that's different, you know, mm-hmm. but as a first generation American, you're automatically at the intersection because you're, you're balancing being born here in America, being an American citizen, but you're also balancing your cultures are multicultures and in some cases. Wow. Wow. So it is, I, I think a lot of rewarding at the same time. You know? Yes. I think a lot of people will renovate, renovate, well, a lot of people will um find uh comfort in your story and you're being able to explain and give them the language for their experience because I've experienced a lot of what you're talking about and just didn't even understand it yeah it was very sad at times and I felt alone and um and so forth and so I know there's a large population of people who are feeling exactly as you're explaining Mm -hmm. so um so what do you find different between American and immigrant culture in terms of multicultural associations? Well, you know, like I said before, um, you know, in every culture, people have their prejudices and have their ways and stuff like that. No one's perfect. But again, being a first generation American gives you the opportunity to have options on what you choose to deal and what, what you like and what you don't like. You know, there's things I like about being born in America that I don't get from West Indian Latino, the things I like about West Indian culture that I w- won't get in Latin culture, and there's things in Latin culture that I like and dislike. You know, so it, it gives you options to um, 
explore different ways of living your life. Yes. Um, but one th- from my experience, growing around West Indians and Latinos, they're more multicultural in mindset than the broader U.S. culture. Black and white seem to be more divisive into themselves and believe only in like U.S. English, U.S. culture. You know. Right. Um, and so those are the differences that I find um, between, and not just West Indian Latino, just immigrant uh, culture versus the U.S. culture. You know, in a, immigrants coming here have more of an international perspective um, versus the general U.S. population. And, right. and again, it's not to say that all U.S. persons are like that. You will find people that are not like that, that are very open to people's culture. But for the most part, that's what I've experienced. Um, and, and because it's been very po- problematic for me to be around the general U.S. population because of those beliefs. I just didn't feel like I fit in, so to speak. Yes. Right, right, right. With my value set, even though right. I'm American, you know. Right, right, right. My goodness, this, quite this a, a space. This is not necessarily um, multicultural associations, but also immigrant values. Like, for example, um, my dad even said that that when he came here, he was shocked to learn that people want to get their kick their kids out of the house at eighteen because that's a sign of independence. Whereas right. in um, West Indian culture, Latino culture, you know. Independence is not defined by you being kicked out of the house. You can still maintain a sense of independence while also maintaining that family structure, save up your money, um, mm-hmm. your money, and then you leave and get married and you get a house and stuff like that. So those are some of the differences that I've noticed. Um, and it also made it very hard for me to navigate my way through life because the way people perceive you because of certain traditions that you hold on to and you know so forth and so on. And then we also, we take care of our elderly we don't yeah. send them to put, um, don't put them in a, in a home exactly right and the work the work ethic as well what advice could you as a first generation american give to a new immigrant that will help them adjust to the new culture or help them become a more or become a successful contributing member of the american society especially non-white immigrants okay I would say um, come with the idea or just come with the expectation that things are not going to happen overnight. I know sometimes people abroad look at America as, you know, um, this better roses and things are going to be perfect when you get here. And I don't think I need to tell the immigrant, to advise an immigrant to um, be paid, paid because, you know, immigrants come here and they work hard. They'll do yes. the general population will not do and they achieve a lot, you know, I've seen, like I said, I've had great examples. I've seen those examples, you know, but just as a reminder, you know, that yes. going to happen overnight, you're going to, there's a lot of times when you're going to fall down, um, you're going to feel like, like I said, from my own experience, there's times where you feel excluded, you feel ostracized, you feel alone in this world. Um, but, but nevertheless, you have to pick up and keep moving. I would say, you know, lean on your networks, people from your home country, but don't depend 100% on that. Like I said, the U.S. sometimes is not very necessarily open to other cultures, but they are people in America that are, you know, it's, it's just a matter of getting to know people on an individual basis and balancing your, your home country networks with also building relationships with people here in the U.S. Um, that could help you 
towards success. Because, you know, my father experienced a lot of these things too, but he did find that they were good people too, uh, that he has forged friendships with and are friends with till this day. So that's what I would, that's what I would say. But it is especially um, uh, uh, non-white immigrants, I would also say, um, you know, the race relations are very different to where you come from. So that's something that you have to be aware of. And even immigrants that are coming here that are white maybe may not have to experience as much of the same things as you do so or I like the term fair complexion I mean because I still have an issue with what is white or um, what is black I mean what does that say what part of the world are you from and what's your culture and And yeah. um, it's just, I mean, it's so problematic when we use these terms, these you know, terms. Yeah. Fair, fair complexion, because you can find somebody who um, I've seen dark skinned people give birth to very fair skinned people. And that well, my, my mom, my mom, is, right? my, my mom is very fair and I'm brown skin, you know, so again, it goes right. back to the whole West Indian Latino thing. That's normal for me to see those types yes. of things. Right, right. So fear, fear. I love the term fear, fear complexion or fear, you know, light skinned or something yeah. like that. And it's yeah. funny how what's attached to that, even though it doesn't necessarily say much about your culture, your underlying culture and who you yeah. are. Yes, exactly. Um, so we have as a, uh, a new segment of our show called FOPA. Um, do you have any advice that you would uh, give to new immigrants of things not to say or not to do? Um, mm-hmm. Like one thing that you would recommend that would stand out for you? Okay. Well, um, this is something my father had experienced. And coming from the, the language industry, uh, language and cultural service industry, I think this is very important. Um, even within one language. Um, you could have one part of the English speaking world says certain things and it's fine. And then you go to another part of the English speaking world and you say the same thing and it doesn't sit well with people. So for example, my dad, when he came here um, as, as a greeting, when he was talking to um, other Americans, they would say, hey boy, how you going, you good? You know, and right away they took offense because in this country historically the term boy was used by the slave you know master to refer Mm -hmm. to a black person whether they were a boy or a grown man and you know so even though he's a black person they still took you know offense to that and he couldn't understand why but he realized very quickly that he had to change that up because he also used another term like you people and when he Mm -hmm. says people is just to address more than one person that he's speaking to but again, it, I guess the connotations are what it's what the term or the phrase is associated with. Again, like I said, it didn't make them feel comfortable, and they express, you know, taking offense to it. And so that, that's one thing I would say that, like, again, even with the Spanish language, you know, um, you could say a certain word in one country is fine. You go to another Spanish speaking country, it means something completely different. You know, um, I believe like in, in Chile, um, guagua is a baby, but in Puerto Rico, it's a bus, you know, but that, that's not offensive, but you know, just in terms of talking about how even within the same language, 
certain words and phrases you can't you can use one place but it's not acceptable somewhere else so he had to learn that very quickly so I, I, I would not just for West Indians but just immigrants in general certain expressions and things that you say in your country that maybe is not offensive to your fellow countrymen may not be acceptable in the United States so we have to be mindful about the words and the phrases that we choose to use right okay well thank you for that Trisha this was quite um the interview and I enjoyed listening to your experiences, your challenges, your successes. And I have no doubt that you have yet amazing things ahead of you. I'm great to make the connection and I uh, will continue to uh, build on our relationship and sharing with each other. We have a lot of uh, experiences in common and um, yeah. I study Spanish as well. And um love culture and love to celebrate the contributions that immigrants are making here to the United States. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This, this is a great platform and I, I was glad to share my experience. Trisha, if you'd like to share with our audience how they can uh, be in connection with you if there's someone listening who'd like to get in touch with you. Sure. So um if they want to reach out to me personally, they could reach me on Instagram. My handle is at Trisha JCM. So that's T-R-I-S-H-A-J-C-M. Or um, at the language shop, they could reach me at Trisha.McMurray at the language shop.org. Very good. Very good. Thank you for joining us again, Trisha. It was great having you. And thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. If you'd like to share your immigrant story, feel free to reach out to us at 240-232-5579 or email us at info at thedreamacademy.us. Thank you for joining. Walk good and stay healthy. Until next time. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.